Thank you, F. Thank you for inviting me and Kevin, Pastor Kevin, and all of you here. I, I send you my greetings and uh, from my church too. And I'm glad to, to be with you. You know, I had a time a little mixed up initially. I thought it was 7 o'clock my time, but 7 o'clock your time. So I told my, my, my staff, I, uh, not my staff, but my, the staff at my church and some of the other people that I may not be able to be at prayer meeting tonight. We have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, every Wednesday night at 7.30 on Zoom. But I'm glad it's 4 o'clock now my time. We'll be done by 5. Then I can have a little bit of dinner and then join them at a prayer meeting at 7.30 or 8 o'clock tonight. So they'll be glad to see me because next week I'll be away in San Diego uh, celebrating Thanksgiving week with my son, Andrew, and his wife, Jan, and our wonderful little Brooklyn, who is now two years old. We have a granddaughter. And psychologists have talked quite a bit about post-traumatic growth, PTG. Ev is very aware of this uh, for many years. But in the last five to 10 years, they've talked about another kind of growth called post-ecstatic growth. Growth through positive, joyful experiences. Post-traumatic growth is growth through suffering, which we all understand. But suffering is not the only way to grow. Joyful, positive experiences can also help us to grow. And remember what C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven, not suffering, not sorrow. There'll be no more suffering, no more sorrow in heaven to come. Praise God for that. So growing through joyful experiences is also important to emphasize. Sometimes we forget that, you know. And, uh, and one of the most joyful experiences psychologists have discovered is grandparenting. <laughs> now, of course, assuming the child is pretty decent and, and, and normal, okay? <laughs> there are some nuances there. So we are really looking forward to that next week. But today, I'm so glad to be with you. I, I gave a plenary or keynote address on hope in September, actually, uh, in, uh, earlier in the fall, uh, late summer, fall, um, at the um, AACC World Conference and Christian Counseling in uh, Nashville, uh, Tennessee. And so F asked me to come and share this message with you. I have uh, adapted it a little bit more to a church audience, so I will not cover the psychology of it too much. I'll just make a couple of brief comments and then go straight into scripture. And if you don't mind, I am a pastor and a preacher, so I will be preaching tonight and teaching and sharing with you from my heart. Okay, so let's pray. Let's pray first. Dear God, thank you so much for my dear friends here that I've just begun to know. Of course, F, I've known for a long time, Pastor Kevin, just uh, this past week or so through emails and so on. And all the other members of this church who are joining us on Zoom, I pray in the name of Jesus, that Holy Spirit of God, you will take the word of God and break it and feed our souls with the inspired word of God. We pray that you will anoint the preaching, teaching and sharing of your word tonight and that we will learn and we will be encouraged and we will be transformed by the power of your word through the power of the Holy Spirit, particularly as we focus on a biblical perspective on hope. Christian hope, not just hope as defined by positive psychologists, not just hope as defined by the world, not hope so hope, but 100% assured hope because of you, O oh God, because you are trustworthy and your word is trustworthy. As Max Lucado puts it, we can have unshakable hope in your unbreakable word because you keep your word and your word endures forever. So thank you, Lord. I pray that you will encourage us tonight. You will infuse hope into us as we hear your word and as we let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. So bless us, protect us from evil. We pray for your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come where you rule and reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords of our lives that we may know and experience eternal life in Jesus Christ now and forever in heaven to come. So we thank you and we ask for your blessings now that you be glorified in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. 
So as I was saying earlier, uh, F is a, a world-renowned leading researcher in the field of positive psychology, especially in the areas of forgiveness and humility and other areas. But hope is another topic that positive psychologists have focused on for at least a couple of decades now. But when you look at the uh, literature and the research and the writings on hope from a more secular, positive psych psychological point of view, you will find that um, uh, the emphasis has been more on uh, hope from a human uh, perspective. In other words, uh, hope is often defined as um, consisting of things like optimism, uh, you know, um, the probability that uh, uh, good things will happen in the future. You have a goal, you have means of achieving that goal. And so all these things are uh, separate elements of, of, of what psychologists try to define as hope. And it's a good thing. And they've also found that human beings need hope. In fact, Jerome Frank, many years ago, a well-known psychiatrist, wrote a, a very, very well-known book. Of course, he's passed away many years ago. Jerome Frank was a psychiatrist, not a Christian psychiatrist. He wrote a book called Persuasion and Healing. And in that book, Persuasion and Healing, that's gone through, I think, at least four editions, he uh, emphasized that some of the common denominators, some of the common characteristics of all therapies, all counseling approaches that are effective, Know, have some common elements. And this was way before the common uh, factors in therapy were, were talked about and described. And now we talk about psychotherapy, relationships that heal or that help and so on. Uh, so um, uh, Jerome Frank talked about patients or clients coming in for therapy or counseling who are demoralized. And by that, he doesn't mean lack of morals. He just means devastated, demoralized, hopeless, without hope. Okay. And no matter what therapy that you um, uh, practice or prescribe, if you're successful or effective in your therapy or counseling with people without hope, you will somehow, through your techniques, interventions, rationale, relationship, whatever it may be that you use in your counseling and therapy with people, you will then be able to instill hope in demoralized, hopeless people, you see. So people come without hope demoralized, devastated by the sufferings in their lives and the symptoms they're struggling with. And then uh, the therapist and the counselor gives help in whatever way, ultimately through a common pathway of facilitating, deepening, and uh, engendering hope for these clients. So hope has been very important in our field for a while. But now with positive psychologists doing even more research in the last 10, 20 years, and positive psychologists, by the way, are the psychologists who emphasize more the virtues and the strengths and the positive side of human nature. Psychologists, especially clinical counseling psychologists, have many years been emphasizing and perhaps overemphasizing the negative part of human nature, our psychopathology, our problems, our weaknesses, and so on. But if you look at the Bible carefully, you find that the Bible gives us the most uh, uh, comprehensive and full-orbed perspective of human nature. That we're created in God's image, so we have potential. There are positive uh, potentials in us, but we have also fallen. We're sinners, and we're capable of much evil. Look at what's happening in the world today, okay? So there's sin too. And I think in order to have a biblically-based psychology, we need to acknowledge both the potential for positive things as well as the capacity for much evil and sin. And only Jesus Christ can help us, you see, to overcome the old nature, the sinful nature that we all have, and to grow in a new self in Christ when we receive Him as our Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit uh, fills us and enables us to be born again to the kingdom of God and then gives us Real biblical hope. So I'm not going to talk too much about positive psychology. I think there's some good things there. But very quickly, one of the dangers of positive psychology is that it can become too positive. Hmm? 
We need to acknowledge also the darker side of human nature. All right, enough said about that. Now, how about hope from a Christian perspective, from the Bible's perspective? Okay, and so the Bible has a lot to say about hope, that hope is essential for human beings. God knows that. And Jesus came to give us life and life eternal now and forever in heaven to come so that we can have hope in him. And not only hope in him, but he is our hope. And our hope is based on God's word, as Max Lucado said in his book on hope, that we can have unshakable hope in God's unbreakable word. And because God is faithful and his word is unbreakable, he keeps his promises, every one of them. We can trust him, although sometimes it's hard, especially when we're struggling, when we're experiencing trauma or pain, or when we're going through the dark night of the soul, but God's grace will be sufficient for us. So today, what I want to do is to concentrate on six major means of grace through which God works to engender and deepen and develop biblical hope in us. And again, the word hope, especially in the Greek, whenever it occurs in scripture, almost always, it means 100% assured hope in God. Not the kind of uh, hope that we talk about in our usual uh, matter of speech. Huh? Uh, you and I are very aware when we say, oh, I hope you get the job. <laughs> oh, I hope you pass your exam. <laughs> oh, I hope you get an A. <laughs> it's kind of a hope-so hope. <laughs> Sometimes it's 50-50. <laughs> it might even be 80%, 20%, but it's almost never 100%. I, I hope, I wish, you know. <laughs> and you mean well. But that is a kind of hope that's more from a human point of view. Whenever the Bible talks about hope, except in one or two very exceptional uh, uh, places in Scripture where uh, the hope there is about human hope. But when the Bible talks about hope from a, uh, a godly perspective, from an eternal perspective, it's never 50-50. It's never hope, so hope, so hope. It's 100%. God assured hope. And 100% that we can have that hope in the Lord. So this is the kind of hope, biblical hope, assured hope, safe and secure hope, okay? that the Lord alone can give to us. And, and so I want to talk about how does God go about deepening such biblical hope in your life and in my life, especially today when we're living in a world where hope has been so much uh, devastated by all the crazy things that are happening, the wars and all the other things that I don't even have time to get into. Hmm? So there are six S's. Now, I'm very careful as a preacher and a pastor not to use alliteration uh, in ways that will... Uh, eisegete the scriptures rather than exegete the scriptures, okay? In other words, when we use alliteration too much as creatures, like a six A's, five B's, three C's, okay? uh, it's uh, potentially dangerous because we tend to twist the text of scripture to fit our alliterative devices. You understand what I'm saying, right? Um, so uh, that's a danger. I'm very aware of that. I'm not trying to do that. But as I prepared this message for the AACC conference and as I looked it over again for you tonight, I decided that these six S's, they all start with S, are appropriate. I'm not uh, eisegeting or misinterpreting scripture. <laughs> this is based on a good interpretation of scripture. It just happens that the passages I'll be sharing with you from scripture do lend themselves to six S's. <laughs> so it's much easier for us to remember. And I'm getting older. My hair's white. You know? <laughs> we're all getting older. By the way, when I say I'm getting older and when I say we're getting older in my church, I have 20-somethings and 30-somethings in my congregation too. And then they kind of laugh, you know, and they smile and say, hey, wait a minute, you're getting older too. <laughs> we all are getting older. <laughs> you're 20-something, you're getting to be 30-something, you know, you're 60-something, getting to be 70-something. We are all getting older. And thank God there's heaven to look forward to because this world is not our final home, but there'll be a new heaven and new earth. 
And so there will be a new earth. Anyways, here are the six S's, okay? I'm going to just mention them and, and, and cite the scriptures and I'll go back to each one of them and, and, and explain and expound on each of them a little bit more. So I would like to suggest to you today that biblical hope is unshakable because of God's unbreakable word, as Max Lucado puts it, can be deepened through, number one, the Holy Spirit, okay? Spirit, capital S, through the Holy Spirit, Romans 15, 13. Second S, can be deepened through scripture, Romans 15, 4, through scripture. Thirdly, suffering, through suffering, Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. And this is the difficult one. How can hope be deepened through suffering? Paradoxically, yes. So that's from Romans 5, 3 to 5. By the way, there are many other passages, but I'm giving you the main ones for the sake of time. Number four, the fourth S is, biblical hope can be deepened through Savior, the Savior, Savior Jesus Christ as Savior. 1 Timothy 1, 1. And number five, biblical hope can be deepened through the second coming of Christ or anticipating the second coming of Christ. So second coming of Christ. That starts with S, okay? And uh, that's from Titus 2, 13 and 1 Peter 1, 13. Again, Titus 2, 13 and 1 Peter 1, 13. And finally, the last S I want to mention, there can be many more, but let's just stop at six. And the sixth S is spiritual community. Ephesians 4, 4. Spiritual community. Based on Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. Now, you all know already, you know, in the mastery of the English language that some of these S's can begin with other letters, but then it will not, uh, uh, you know, help me in my alliteration. <laughs> spiritual community can also uh, be, uh, you know, um, uh, substituted for with another word, right? Fellowship. <laughs> or if you want to use Greek, it's koinonia. Koinonia starts with K. Fellowship starts with F. I need something that starts with S. So it's spiritual community. It's the same thing we're talking about, okay? But we're just trying to uh, put it simply as six S's. So here are the six S's. So instead of having no hope, so the, the, the AACC World Conference, the theme was no hope, okay? K-N-O-W. Knowing hope. No hope. So the title of my plenary then was uh, No Hope Instead of Having No Hope. N-O. I was playing around with those words. Okay, How do we know hope, really experience and know hope in Christ rather than having N-O, no hope, as many people in this world are experiencing uh, today in a very devastating and negative way. Having no hope because they're becoming more and more demoralized and having less and less hope and eventually no hope. But we want to have Real hope, to know God and to know His word and His hope that He wants to inculcate in us. And Jeremiah 29, 11, of course, tells us that there is a future, that we have a future in Him. There's hope in the future that God has prepared for us. So let's go back to the six S's now. Okay, The first S is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I have emphasized the Holy Spirit a lot in my writings, both in counseling and therapy, as well as in preaching. I wrote a book some years ago, 2019, on pastoral ministry not just counseling or therapy, not just the psychology part, but the church, ecclesiology and the church and pastoral ministry. What is pastoral ministry all about? What is church ministry all about? And the, the title of the book is called Shepherding God's People. Shepherding God's People. A guide to faithful and fruitful pastoral ministry. Not a guide to excellent pastoral ministry. Not a guide to uh, successful pastoral ministry. Not a guide to mega church uh, uh, ministry. But to ministry that is faithful and fruitful in Christ as the Holy Spirit leads us. And in all of these areas, I've been a senior pastor for over 26 years. Whether I'm preaching, teaching, 
pastorally visiting people, counseling with them, caring for them, doing small groups, doing weddings, doing funerals, you know, uh, uh, going to church board meetings, going over the church budget, all kinds of stuff that Pastor Kevin knows he has to do. Has got zillion things that a pastor has to do, you know. And it's impossible to do all of them, you know, in an excellent way. But you want to do them faithfully as God guides you. And my emphasis in that book as well as now is that it's the Holy Spirit who is essential, absolutely crucial and central in our lives as Christians, as well as in every area of our ministries, including pastoral ministry, including counseling, including uh, living the Christian life. So the Holy Spirit, and you'll find this even in the whole uh, area of um, uh, dealing and, and uh, with uh, the topic of hope and how to deepen hope. So the, the, the key verse here is Romans 15, 13, okay, on the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in the NIV, the New International Version. May the God of hope, now this is really interesting, the God of hope, our God is described as the God of hope, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God is a God of hope. He's a God who gives us hope. He's a God of hope. May the God of hope fill you, the Apostle Paul says here, with all joy and peace as you trust in him or have faith in him. Walk by faith, not by sight, not by feelings. As you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the Comforter, the Counselor, par excellence, according to John chapter 14, chapter 16, and other passages. So the Holy Spirit, I'll read that verse again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who infuses hope into your heart and mind, even in moments of pain and sorrow and struggle and trauma and suffering. The Holy Spirit, the comforter par excellence, God himself, God the Holy Spirit. And notice that here Paul says you may overflow with hope, not trickle with hope, not just have a little bit of hope, but amazing overflows and abundance. You will overflow with hope. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When we learn to walk in the Spirit, in, as, as Paul talks about in Galatians 5 and 6, as we learn to be filled with the Spirit, as the writer of Ephesians or Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18, be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. That means surrender to Him day by day, moment by moment. Spirit of God, in the name of Jesus, I pray you just fill me, take control of my life, you know, and let me overflow with hope by your power, not by my self-effort. So I often play around with another S, that the secret of the Christian life and a fruitful Christian ministry is not self-effort. That's the wrong S. And psychologists emphasize a lot about self-effort, techniques, skills, and I'm trained in all of those, but it's not self-effort that's the ultimate secret. From a biblical point of view, it's surrender. That's the right S. The S of surrender, where we come to the end of ourselves. When we realize that we can't do it anymore. That I can't do it, Lord. I can't do it. And you become a conduit for God. C-O-N-D-U-I-T. A real conduit. You want to be a conduit, a channel through whom the Spirit can flow? Then better get to the point where you can't do it. I really can't do it. You've got to be British. That way, you know? I can't do it. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. And that's the point at which the Holy Spirit can take over. And He'll fill you. And it'll give you overflowing hope. See? So when we come to the end of ourselves, the Lord can take control. And that's a very painful lesson that we have to learn as Christians that we don't like. You know, 
Somebody wrote a book called The J-Curve some years ago. Paul Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. The J-Curve. It's a book on discipleship. Dying and rising with Christ daily. The J. You die with Christ and then you rise up with Christ. Then you die with Christ and you rise up with Christ. You die to the old sinful self and you rise up in your new nature more and more. You become more and more like Jesus. J, 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 until you see Jesus, the real J, <laughs> face to face. That, that's my uh, insertion of that. Okay, he didn't talk about J as Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us overflowing hope. But we need to learn to come to the end of ourselves and to surrender to him and stop all this self-effort and performance and perfectionism and be healed by God's grace to rest in him and to let go and let God take control and to let it be, so to speak, because God has the answers, not us. And so the Holy Spirit does this. So that's point number one. The Holy Spirit gives us hope. We need to depend on him, ask him to fill us. Number two, the scriptures, the Bible. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, we read here again in the words of the Apostle Paul, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You see? Through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, the word of God, we might have hope. There is no other book like this book. I'm not talking about Worshipping the Bible. I'm talking about worshipping the God who speaks through the Bible. This is God's word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said, but my word shall not pass away. This is the eternal word of God. Ev and I have done a lot of research. We've read many papers. We've written many papers. We've read all kinds of books. I've read thousands of books, literally, because I wrote a major textbook in the field that required me to read thousands of books. There's no book that comes anywhere even close to this. So my question for you, my friends, is, has of, have we been able to continue with God's help to maintain faith in this book that's been so highly criticized and, 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 and um, you know, uh, broken down by so many so-called smart, too smart biblical scholars and so on. You know, we really need to come back to scriptures. There's nothing like this book, my friends. And we need to be word-centered as well as spirit-filled and Christ-centered, of course. So the scriptures... All that was written is to teach us and to help us to grow in hope. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. The 66 canonical books of the Bible. And there is so much truth and so much depth there that no other book can give us. So my challenge or encouragement or exhortation to you and to me today is to reaffirm our faith afresh in this inspired, spirit-guided Word of God that will give us hope. And in moments of struggle and suffering, especially, many Christians have testified how getting really helped them to see God more clearly, to trust. And the book of Psalms is a beautiful book in Scripture. All, all of Scripture, of course, but Psalms, you know, uh, so raw, so real. The psalmist pouring out his heart. It's a prayer book that helps us to pray and to help us to come closer to God, even when we're struggling with our faith and even when we're struggling with Him in our painful moments. So the scriptures, that's the second S. Let's get back to the scriptures. And I can say a lot about this. I don't have time. I'll just say something very simple. Uh, I remember when I was a young Christian in Singapore after my own conversion, you know, uh, by the grace of God, he gave me the gift of evangelism. I led over 100 kids to Christ through Youth for Christ and Youth Ministries in my first two years as a Christian. 
And as I led them to the Lord, the Lord touched their lives, their lives changed, but some of them had problems that were difficult to, to overcome. And that's why I felt a call as later in my teens to have to go abroad to study psychology because Singapore and the university didn't have psychology there. So I can be better equipped to help people with their problems. But I saw lives being changed, young people's lives being changed and transformed. And uh, I saw the scriptures, you know, changing their lives too. And there through the navigators, through Youth for Christ, through discipling of young Christians, we taught them uh, a simple word hand and a simple prayer hand, you know, the prayer hand, five fingers, you know. So we, the prayer hand is um, where we praise God for who he is. We thank God for what he's given to us. We confess our sins. We pray for ourselves, petition, and we pray for others intercession. That's the prayer hand. The word hand, we hear the word of God, like right now, hearing good teaching and preaching, hearing the word, reading the word, you know, and then studying the word. It takes a bit more of time. And then meditating on the word and then memorizing the word. You see, I was taught all that as a young Christian. I still remember this by heart. You know, very simple, but very, very helpful for a young Christian. Don't make it complicated. But the, of these five fingers, the last one is the one that has been the long forgotten means of grace. Scripture memory, memorizing the word. So let me put a plug for that. Now, you know, today we have this, right? <laughs> This is not the Bible. This is the iPhone. But there are many Bible versions in there, right? So I have millennials and younger people tell me, well, Dr. Ten, I don't have to memorize scripture anymore. Why is all here? I press my button and the verse comes up. I say, I know, I know. You know, I'm not as savvy as you guys. I have an iPhone, I know, you know. But I use the old-fashioned method. I still memorize scripture. But you don't, okay? You, you depend on the iPhone. And then when your battery dies, when your iPhone battery dies, and you need that verse. And you say, oh my gosh, it's dead. For this moment, I cannot bring up the verse. But if I've memorized the verse, it's in here. And oftentimes, the Holy Spirit will remind me of that verse and it comes back. So I'm so glad as a young teenager in Singapore, after my conversion, I memorized, I memorized at least three to 400 verses of scripture in my first two years as a Christian. And honestly, Pastor Kevin will know what I mean. When I prepare sermons now, I don't have to look at my concordance as often. <laughs> the verses are in there. The Holy Spirit reminds me, the cross-references. And of course, I check the concordances to make sure I didn't, I didn't remember uh, wrongly <laughs> because my amygdala and hippocampus are not functioning as well as before. Okay, our brains you know, get a little bit more rusty, but it's still in there. See, Now I can go on and on, but you know what I mean. Get into the Word and let the Word of God get into you. And when you're facing trials and you're facing the dark moments of your life and you're going through the dark night of the soul, the Holy Spirit can bring forth all these things to your remembrance, whatever Jesus has taught you through the scriptures because you've memorized the word. So that's my plug, okay, for scripture memory. Don't just depend on your iPhone. All right, number three, the next S is suffering. Now, this is a weird one, right? What the heck has suffering got to do with hope? Suffering devastates my hope. Suffering demoralizes me. Initially, it, it may but if you understand the proper place of suffering, and psychologists have done decades of research now on what's so-called post-traumatic growth, PTG, how people grow through trauma and suffering. And we already know from scriptures that suffering can help us to grow, can help us to be better people if we depend on the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we can become bitter people. We don't want to go there. We want to become, grow to become better people as the Spirit helps us through suffering. So here is the third S, suffering. Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Again, the words of the Apostle Paul, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. 
perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, does not let us down. Because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You see, this is another passage on the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who then pours out the love of God in our hearts. And it's because of God's love that gives us hope that God really, really loves you and me. God really, really has your back in mind. And Jesus went all the way to the cross to prove how much he loves us and how precious we are to him. And no matter whatever sufferings we are going through, you know, he is there with us and for us and he goes before us and he's even in us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back again to how Paul develops his argument here just briefly, okay? We rejoice. We rejoice. Weird, huh? Rejoicing in suffering. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? There's joy even in our pain, our sorrow, our grief, our trauma. There is some joy there because we know God is doing a deeper work of grace in our hearts. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And my good friend Kurt Thompson, who's a Christian psychiatrist, he wrote a book just recently called The Deepest Place. The Deepest Place. Suffering and the Formation of Hope. It's a whole book on suffering and hope on this whole point. Number three. Very good book. And Kurt Thompson also knows a bit about neuroscience and so on. And he tells us that when we persevere, when we continue to keep at it, and we hang in there with endurance and faithfulness and perseverance, what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. Our neurons fire in a different way. There are different pathways in your brain. It results in good brain changes that help us to cope better with life. But we don't need neuroscience to back up the scriptures. But when neuroscience backs up the scriptures, I rejoice. When it doesn't, who cares? <laughs> you know, sometimes I find when I go to all these conferences, everything has to have a reference to neuroscience. You know? And this whole uh, silly worship of neuroscience, I, I'm not into that, okay? But I just did it myself. I just told you a bit about neuroscience. But it's because Kurt Thompson says that there's something about suffering that leads to perseverance, and perseverance leads to better coping with life and more hope in the long run. But Paul develops this argument not from neuroscience, but from biblical theology and from God's uh, biblical and, and uh, perspective from his word. See, that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, a long obedience in the same direction, perseverance produces character. And when the Bible uses the word character, it's talking about substance. There is umph, there's substance in you. There's character. It's not hollow. It's not superficial. It's not, it's not nothing. It is deep. And that kind of depth in character can only come through suffering. And that depth of character will lead to hope. Because you have known God's faithfulness, how He's seen you through suffering after suffering, trial after trial, and His grace is sufficient for you. You've proven that. And because you know that, your hope continues to be strengthened and deepened as you suffer. So we do not want to glorify suffering. In heaven, there's no more suffering. But on earth, suffering can help us to grow. But joyful experiences can help us to grow too. And remember that behind all of this, in the growth of hope through suffering, is God's love. Huh? Hope does not disappoint us, does not let us down, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. So in our suffering, the Holy Spirit comes. He comforts us. 
and then he helps us to comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, with the comfort that we receive from him, from the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts and that steadies us, stabilizes us. It strengthens us. It gives us hope, even in the midst of suffering. And through suffering, we grow. There's another book that came out recently to uh, Kurt Thompson's book, uh, uh, the deep play, uh, the deepest place was published in 2023, just a few months ago. It's another book called "Good Catastrophe" by Benjamin Windel, W-I-N-D-L-E. Benjamin Windel, "Good Catastrophe," uh, also 2023, just a few months ago. Another book on suffering and hope that I recommend for your reading. These are more recent books. All right, my time is running along, so let me go on to the fourth S now. Hmm? The fourth S is Savior. It's Jesus himself, the Savior. 1 Timothy 1.1. In 1 Timothy 1.1, this is what Paul writes here. And I believe Paul wrote 1 and 2 Timothy and as well as Titus, despite some of the biblical uh, scholars who, who criticize this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Okay, This sentence here, 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul was addressing himself as the author of, of this letter he was writing. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. Isn't that interesting? Paul addresses Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus our hope. And one of the authors put it, hope is more than a feeling, more than a virtue, more than an outlook. Hope is a person, and hope has a name. His name is Jesus. See, we don't just have hope in Jesus. Jesus is our hope. When you have Jesus, you have hope. Because Jesus has saved you. And he'll continue to sanctify you progressively. And one day, he'll glorify you with a glorified body like his that will not decay. So there's hope because of the Savior. Jesus Christ is our hope. And then number five, the second coming of Christ. Of course, the second coming starts with S. Proper English will say anticipation of the second coming of Christ. But anticipation of the second coming of Christ starts with A. <laughs> so I'll just say second coming of Christ in brackets anticipated. Okay, Second coming of Christ anticipated. When we anticipate, we look forward to, we expect that Jesus is coming back soon. And we look forward to seeing him. Anticipating the second coming of Christ is actually anticipating heaven to come, including the new heaven, new earth. It will include the, the, the earth, but a new earth, a transformed earth, not this old earth as we see it. And so Jesus is coming back. And Titus 2.13 says this, while we wait for the blessed hope, see the word hope there, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's our blessed hope. It's coming back again for us. The story is not ended yet. The story is a good ending. The Lord's coming back for us. It will end well. We're going to heaven. Larry Crabb, my good friend who went home to be with the Lord a couple of years ago, his last book was Waiting for Heaven. He was suffering from cancer. He knew he only had a couple of months left and finished writing this book a couple of months before he passed on to glory. Waiting for heaven. You know, and we need to learn to wait for heaven. And, and, and uh, Randy Alcorn, A-L-C-O-R-A, Randy Alcorn has written one of the best books on heaven. It's simply called Heaven. It's a big, thick book. All the questions you have asked about heaven and all the verses in the Bible on heaven is in, uh, in that book. And that book really gives you hope as you anticipate heaven to come. You know? And thank God that this world, this life 
is not the end. There is a better place and a better life ahead of us that gives us hope, especially as you get older. So Titus 2.13. And then 1 Peter 1.13 in the NIV. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Jesus is coming back. And if he doesn't come back before you die, then you're going to go to him. Anticipating heaven, anticipating the second coming of Christ. That gives us hope. You know, I, I, I remember years ago uh, saying that myself as a preacher, as a younger preacher, but also many other older preachers, they used to say this. Hmm? You probably have heard this saying before. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Have you heard that before? Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no, of no earthly good. That means pie in the sky theology, right? Always talking about heaven, you know. You're so heavenly minded that you're not down to earth. You're, not, you're of no earthly good. You're not helping your neighbor. You're not loving the poor. You're not you know, fighting for justice. You're just all into this uh, uh, heavenly stuff. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. There's a bit of truth to that. But you know what? Over the years, I don't like that saying. I don't say that anymore. I only say it to criticize it. Because Paul never said it that way. Paul said that another way. Paul said, be heavenly minded enough in order to continue to be of earthly good. Be heavenly minded enough in order to continue to be of earthly good. Because if you don't think about heaven, you'll give up. As my millennial and younger people say in my church, this world, this life sucks. <laughs> it's hard. This is a fallen, messed up, sinful world. You know? And if all you think about is this world, forget it. But if you think about heaven to come, and the saints of all always say, take time to think about heaven. Take time to think about your mortality. Take time to realize that you're going to die one day. This life on earth is not going to go on forever. But life in heaven goes on forever. Anticipate it. Look forward to it. Be heavenly minded enough so that you are encouraged with hope to continue to be of earthly good. To continue a long obedience in the same direction with God's grace and the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, the second coming of Christ, very important. Keep heaven in mind. It will do you much earthly good. And finally, the last S is spiritual community. Spiritual community. And in Ephesians 4.4, the writer of Ephesians of Paul says this, there's one body, the body of Christ, and one spirit, Holy Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One body, fellowship with one another, spiritual community, brothers and sisters in the family of God. One spirit joining us spiritually together in the body of Christ, which is the church, it's not a building. It's an organism, not an organization. And with one hope. So that hope comes in the context of body life, spiritual community, koinonia, fellowship. And many of these authors have emphasized hope cannot grow in isolation. Hope grows in community, in loving one another, praying for one another, supporting one another, coming alongside one another, caring for one another. Hope grows best in spiritual community. And today, there's a lot of work on the dangers of social isolation, especially because of the pandemic, you know, and of loneliness. It's become an epidemic. And, uh, you know, uh, mental health professionals are really focusing on how to help people be more socially connected 
especially the elderly. And we need that. All of us need the spiritual community to engender hope. So I'm going to close here. I'll repeat the six S's and end with a couple verses and I'm done. Okay. So biblical hope that's solid and secure can be deepened through six S's, as I've mentioned. Hmm? To the Holy Spirit, to Scripture, to suffering, to the Savior, to second coming of Christ in anticipation of that, and then through spiritual community. As we engage in that, we realize, as Jeremiah 29, 11 says, the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not for to harm you, or to do evil, but plans for good, to bless you, to give you hope and a future. And then as I close, there is a verse actually in Job chapter 14, verses 7 to 9, that gives us tremendous hope. Job 14, 7 to 9. In the English Standard Version, it reads as follows. For there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease, though its root grow old in the earth, and its thumb die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, perhaps alluding to the Holy Spirit, at the scent of water, it will bud and put up branches like a young plant. There is hope, even for a tree like this. And our God is a God of hope. And the Holy Spirit wants to help us grow in hope through these means of grace. So I trust this has been of encouragement to you. And I'll stop here for, for, for now. Uh, time is running along. So that Pastor Kevin, you can guide us in a time of Q&A, question and